granted some background knowledge about life in the Japanese Empire and the 1920s more generally. This reprinting comes with 70 new pages added with commentary, explanations, detail, and old photos lined up next to the maps that show the same areas. Since pre-war Japanese and Chinese shared most of the same characters and a lot of vocabulary, there hasn't been a need to translate the book. A lot of the text is just names of people and places anyway. Mr. Zhang says this is lucky, because a complete translation would be not only redundant, but hugely bulky. The result is the best thing next to a time machine we can get. A snapshot of an entire city frozen in minute detail and ready for readers today to get into and explore. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and with me in the studio, I'm really honored to be interviewing Sherry Lin, who is a senior at uh, National Taiwan University, and she's studying international relations. She, in fact, I really want to say is that she is the youngest Taiwanese female to have reached the South Pole. Yes, so let's meet Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Shirley. You having traveled to South Pole, and in fact, you've also traveled to North Pole. Um, it looks like you really want to get out there and see the world, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you want to study international relations. Yes, I think like ever since I was a little kid, I have been interested into really like exploring the world and to see how big the world is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, are your parents like that too? Like they like traveling. They like to tell you things about, you know, what's out there besides Taiwan. Taiwan is such a tiny little country, yes. island in this whole big world, right? There's so mm-hmm. much to see out there. Yeah. So are, are they like that? Are they like very open-minded? It, it makes me feel like your parents are very um, optimistic, right? Mm-hmm. Are they optimists? Yes. And I'm really grateful that they they not only encourage me to on explore the world but they also like for example when I was nine years old they just sent me to the U.S. like alone so I was like a package and with the flight attendant to to visit my my aunt so they really trust my ability to to like explore the world wow are you the only child in the family yes ah that is great Mm -hmm. and you were not afraid I didn't know what is what afraid. it meant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 you don't know what me- means to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes, I know of people like that. You told me that you actually traveled to the North Pole before, before you went to the South Pole. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about that? I mean, what happened? Uh, okay. Why were you there? So it's not exactly on North Pole, but mm. like Arctic region. Okay. So when I was in senior high school, I was participating in. Uh, an event by uh, a Swedish brand called Fjörreven. And then it holds an Arctic adventure event every year, which is called um, Fjörreven Polar. So it's still happening every year? Yes. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But wow. because of the virus that oh, yeah, not postpones this year. to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, it uh, invites participants from around the world. So I was the Taiwanese... Uh, Re- representative. Yes, exactly. And so uh-huh. uh, we... Use the dog sledding from uh-huh. Norway to uh, Sweden, which is 330 kilometers. So like, that's like how many days? 
five days. Five days. And we camped in the snow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is amazing. This is something that I only see on documentaries or in movies, you know. Mm-hmm. And to actually meet someone right in, sitting in front of me right now <laughs> who actually went to the Arctic. I'm afraid of the cold. I would oh, really? never. If this opportunity came up, I would never sign up. <laughs> is this the very, very first big challenge in your life besides flying on your own at nine years old? I, I would mean, say so, yes. The very first big challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was when you were in high school. Yes, 18. So you were 18. Mm-hmm. Oh, just graduating. Yeah, why did you want to go? I simply just felt that it's quite interesting. And I, when I was flubbing the phone and I saw it online, I think, why not give it a try? And I sent it to my dad. He said, oh, no, you are not going to that. And I was like, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Someone who is very determined, you know, uh-huh. you, have your, you have your own way of thinking. You, you know what you want, you know, you know what you're yes. doing. Was it the first time seeing snow or you've seen snow before? I've that? seen snow before because uh, like... In the U.S. and also, I was an exchange student to Germany for a year, so okay. I had a gap year in my um, senior years. So during that year, I also went skiing in Austria. Nine years old was that the first time you went abroad? No, like no. out of Taiwan. No, no it wasn't. No, I, I guess your parents took you, you know, like traveling every yes. year or something like that. Yeah. So how 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 many different countries have you traveled to? Currently. Around thirty. Can can you name some countries you've been to? Where was the Where was the very first country you traveled to outside uh, of Taiwan? Japan. Japan. Mm-hmm. And then, what other countries have you been to? You've been uh, to many, many more than I have. So, yeah. what other countries have you been to? So, Europe could count for more than ten. Yeah. Also, Canada, U.S., Australia, Chile, Africa. No, not, not yet. yet. I would love to go <laughs> to Africa in the future. That's not my dream. Yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Egypt, right? You haven't No, been, not right? yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, India? Uh, no, but Nepal. You've oh. been to Nepal with, yes. with your parents? No, alone. Like with a group. With a I've, group. And I've done some like uh, international volunteer for in three countries and Nepal is one of them. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. H- how long were you in Nepal? Two oh, weeks. Two weeks. Doing yeah. what? So it was on the year after the the earthquake. So oh, I was in, there for okay. uh, in the village to help them rescue relief. Yes, yes, some sort of that. Oh mm-hmm. wow! So were you in the mountains? Yes, in the mountain, right next to Kathmandu. In oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Okay, so um, let me see. What other countries? Um, have you been been to Greenland? Oh no, but Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's even to- better. <laughs> Okay, so you've been to Northern Europe, mm-hmm. like Sweden, Norway, yeah, all of them. Yeah, and also all Russia. Of them. Okay, Ru- and Russia, mm-hmm. Mongolia. <laughs> no, but uh, like Ningxia in China. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. but what were those for? I mean, for different volunteer work or yes, yeah, that was my first volunteering work. Oh, that was your first. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Estonia. Yes. Was that for volunteer work as well? No, it's Was like it? this year. I went to Finland and it only... This year? Yes. So just before the COVID-19. Uh-huh. Okay. I was lucky. So I took a ferry to Estonia, which is just around, I don't know, two hours from... from uh, With your parents? Alone. Oh, uh, alone? Yes. You For the first time, you traveled alone by yourself? I went to visit my friend. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh. But you went by yourself? Yes. Yeah, nothing scares you anymore about flying, you know, um, 
going on website and then you know I don't know reserve a plane ticket it's That's a piece of convenient. cake to you now right mm-hmm. yeah what other countries you still want to go that you have not been and it's it's part of your bucket list mm-hmm. what it's, other countries Israel Israel mm-hmm. okay why I kind of feel like because like in the senior high school I had an opportunity to go there to participate in a convention but because of oh. I need to prepare for the exam I need to just give it up yeah uh-huh i feel like it's quite a pity so oh. i want to go in the future and it's a place full of culture and middle yeah. east mysterious yeah so yeah okay wow okay what other countries are you thinking of you know you're not picking any of those like real hot tourist spots like bali island you know in indonesia like you know you're not thinking of those i, I see that you're not that oh, you've one. been already okay all right fine <laughs> Thailand? Yes. For the Philippines? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Vietnam? Yes. I envy you. Anyway, <laughs> this is amazing. And your parents went with you? Like Vietnam? And- no. Okay. That was uh, like cultural exchange from cultural my exchange. junior high school. I, I would say I'm really lucky. Let's say on the average in one year, how many countries do you travel to on the average in one year? Two to three. And they're either cultural exchange or volunteer work or things like that, right? Mm-hmm. None of them is like really for leisure. No. Do you have a family trip with your parents once a year? Mostly besides this year, but in Taiwan. Oh, mostly around Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Oh, your parents don't like that much about traveling abroad. No, no, no. If they have chances, but right now I prefer to travel alone. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, I know. You just explore on your own. You have your own itinerary. Yes. Right? That is amazing. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. So you were in the Arctic. It was actually a, a race, right? Mm-hmm. On the dog sleds. Yeah. Did you have to do training before you left for the Arctic? No, not at all. Because No training? No. That event is just for um, beginners who has like no previous experience because they want to test their equipment. Oh, got yeah. it. Oh, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like a commercial trip. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just got sponsorship and went there and to try on their equipment. Mm. But an experience of a lifetime. Right. Um, are you sporty? I would say so. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, what's your favorite sport? Mm, right now, I'm doing bar, which is a sport combining ballet and yoga. Ballet and yoga? Yeah. Wow, it's my first time hearing that. It's called bar? <laughs> yes. Like B-A-R-R-E? Yes. Is that a French word? It sounds yes. like a French word. Yes. Okay. Oh, very interesting. But <laughs> to go on the dog sled, that, that race, I mean, you don't you have to train yourself physically? Don't you have to know how to ski? You no. Need, no, you don't. But because, mm-hmm. yeah. If I had chances to give advice to the participants in the future, I would recommend <laughs> them to have some training before that. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. It's one person per sled. Yes. You no? Know? Mm-hmm. With six huskies in front of you. <sighs> Do you like animals? Yes, definitely. So you have to first really befriend yourself with these six huskies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they taught you that. I mean, you have to spend some time getting to know them. They get to know you. and Yeah. Oh like the gosh. huskies are our first priority. <laughs> Wait, so when you were racing, I mean, could you see all the other teams? I mean, or you're pretty we much were, sometimes you were on your own. 
We were in Did, groups. Actually. You were in groups. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you yeah. you there's no fear of getting lost by yourself. No, up in the Arctic, Arctic. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is amazing. I'm trying to picture it. You know, <laughs> um, five days. You said yes. Were you ever sick? Did you ever get sick? Uh, only my fingers got frostbites. <gasps> But they're now okay. Yeah, they're fine now. <laughs> oh, I, I guess you do get well from you know like not so severe kind of frostbites. Because mm-hmm. I thought that you'd never get well from frostbites, but anyway. ah, okay, yes, not that severe. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but your fingers are not affected in any way. You can still use them very normally, right? Yes, now. Mm-hmm. that that is amazing. Thank oh God, my gosh, <laughs> I know. The other thing is that you get frostbite is your nose. Ah, okay, but we we recover in uh, masks. Yes, and yeah, all yeah, stuff. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what about food? What did you have for food? I mean, what do you eat? We have dry food. Dry food, just like what astronauts are eating. Really, mm-hmm. all, every all three meals a day, you just only eat dry food. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Was there like dried fish or dried? There I mean, what kind flavors. of dried food? Different flavors, mm-hmm. like spaghetti and also chicken curry, beef stew. Dried food. Yes. So, what do they look like? Like strips? I mean, what? In a package. Okay. Do and you heat it up? You do. Um, put hot water in oh, it. You do. Yeah, just oh, okay. like uh, instant noodles. Oh, yeah. and I thought that you eat them dry. <laughs> oh, it's just called dry food. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. oh, I'm learning so much. This is really amazing. Okay, mm-hmm. one thing I'm really curious: yes. how do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> Everyone has the same question. <laughs> oh, it's just not me. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, so in the Arctic region, it's easier. We just find a spot that's comfortable for us, uh-huh. and then yeah. Uh-huh. And went to the toilet, but for like in Antarctica, it's a different story. Oh yeah, we'll get to that later. Okay. So, did they have all the the route mapped out, mm-hmm. and then put marks there, and then have a little shift toilet there or something like that? No, further routes there are no flags or so because no. we have uh, each group we have a a guide. Okay. And the huskies know the way. Oh, so they don't need so any. <laughs> so amazing. Yes. Did you have to use a compass? No, we don't no, need to because mm-hmm. yeah, it's not like you're by yourself. You have to find your way. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds safer, but mm-hmm. I would still never go because <laughs> I'm afraid of the cold and I, I could never. But you've got warm clothes, so no worries. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I have to trust you. What were your feelings about that trip to the Arctic? I would say that was kind of the first time. I experience life and death because that was too cold. I was also afraid of cold, and because of like my fingers were hurt and yeah, yeah, I was I thinking, am I going to die? Oh, uh-huh. for a few how, times. So, how long did your fingers hurt from the frostbite? How many days? A few weeks. Really? Yes. Even like after you came back. Yes. That means. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's it. I'm definitely not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Really, I didn't have to go down the list of countries asking Sherry which ones she's been to, but I just love traveling and seeing the world so much. I'm just curious, well, and envious, and to think that at her young age she already visits so many different countries. She'll always be on my heart as that young Taiwanese girl who went to the Arctic and actually raced with the Huskies. I feel like that's something you only see in movies. Next week we'll get to hear Sherry Lynn. That's S H E R R Y, and the same Lin as me, L I N. Talk about her adventure way down in the southernmost tip of the world, the Antarctica. For in the spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin.
classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I am Natalie So. Today we're going to hear from a poet in the Middle Tang Dynasty, Liu Yuxi. He was a contemporary and close friend of three other poets, Liu Zhongyuan, Han Yu, and Bai Juyi. And he was known for excelling in shorter and more complex forms of Chinese poetry, and we're going to read a couple of those today. Also, he covers a wide spectrum of topics, including the social customs of the time, folk music, friendship, and nostalgia. Just over 700 of his poems still exist, and four of them are in the classic Qing Dynasty anthology, 300 Tang Poems. Now, two of Liu's poems were included in one of the first English collections of Chinese poetry, called Herbert Guile's 1898 Chinese Poetry and English Verse. The first two poems we're going to read are from that anthology. This one is called Summer Dying. Whence comes the autumn's whistling blast With flocks of wild geese hurrying past Alas, when wintry breezes burst The lonely traveler hears them first This one is called Odalisk, which refers to a concubine in the Emperor's harem. A gaily dressed damsel steps forth from her bower, bewailing the fate that forbids her to roam. In the courtyard, she counts up the buds on each flower while a dragonfly flutters and sits on her comb. And this is from the 300 Tang Poem Anthology, It's called Thoughts of Old Time at West Fort Mountain. Since Wang Jun brought his towering ships down from Yizhou, the royal ghost has pined in the city of Nanjing. Ten thousand feet of iron chain were sunk here to the bottom. And then came the flag of surrender on the wall of stone. 
cycles of change have moved into the past. While still this mountain dignity has commanded the cold river, and now comes the day of the Chinese world united, and the old forts fill with ruin and with autumn reeds. This one is one of his most famous works called Lo Shi Ming, The Scholar's Humble Dwelling. It's a prose poem describing living in a simple home, following a life that is refined in culture and learning. Who heeds the hills bare height until some legend grows around the hill? Who cares how deep the stream before Its fame is writ in country lore And so this humble hut of mine May shelter virtues half divine The moss may climb its ruined stair And grassy stains the curtain wear but scholars at their ease within, for all but ignorance enters in. With simple loot the time beguile, or golden classics page a while. No discords here their ears assail, nor cares of business to bewail. This is the life the sages led. Those are poems by the Tang Dynasty poet Liu Yixu. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. With the pandemic still going on around the world, not too many places are planning lavish New Year's Eve celebrations. With the domestic transmission of COVID-19 contained for over the past 200 days, Taipei is getting ready for its annual New Year's Eve fireworks at Taipei 101, which usually brings over 1 million people to the area to watch the extravagant display. Every New Year's Eve, people enjoy watching the Taipei 101 fireworks. Good news came on Wednesday. Taipei 101 Chairman Zhang Chiu announced that the fireworks show will be on as usual this year. He said Taiwan has done a great job containing COVID-19, so it's time to celebrate Taiwan's success. He 
wants the world to know that Taiwan is a safe and highly civilized place. And our thoughts are with the rest of the world. He said this year's theme is let love embrace the world, let hope light up the future. He said we want to send our prayers and best wishes for people around the world to enjoy a safe and healthy new year. This year's fireworks will be 300 seconds long and feature 16,000 fireworks. And for the first time, the show will be 360 degrees around the building, enabling people to enjoy the full show while watching from any angle of the building. All are welcome to come to Taipei to enjoy the fantastic fusion of lights, fireworks, and music at the Taipei 101 on New Year's Eve. Natalie So, RTI News. After years of planning, it's finally done. The railway line that loops around Taiwan is now fully electrified. Until recently, the only thing electrifying about the South Link line of Taiwan's rail system was the view out the window. The trains themselves were diesel-powered. On Wednesday, though, that's going to change for good. Electrification of Taiwan's railway system began in 1978. After that, progress stopped until the late 1990s. It's only in recent years that most of the rest of Taiwan's railways have been upgraded with electric trains. The final piece of the puzzle, a stretch of track that loops across Taiwan's southern end, has only recently been electrified. And Wednesday is the day electric trains will officially take over this section of track. Transportation Minister Lin Jialong gave the newly electrified track a spin on December 17th in a preview of what's to come. Electrification is expected to shave dozens of minutes off travel times and encourage tourism to already popular destinations on Taiwan's idyllic east coast. John Van Trieste, RTI News. What happens when the newly renovated temple is found to be on illegal ground? The people who run the temple didn't want to tear it down and rebuild it again. So they decided to mobilize over a thousand people to physically move the building. The Fu An Temple in Pingdong County has been around since the Japanese occupation period, and it just got a facelift last year. But new urban planning left the temple in the middle of a three-way junction. The building had to be moved 40 meters to be safe. Residents in the area actually thought they could move the 1,200-ton building by mustering 1,200 people to move it physically. First, the structure had to be lifted 1.5 meters upward and then placed on rollers. Then construction workers had to put eight strong ropes under the building for people to hold on to and then pull the heavy structure over the rollers. All this work took one week to prepare. On the morning of December 15th, the 1,200 volunteers evenly distributed themselves around the eight ropes. But before they started to pull, one of the ropes snapped. At the end, they brought in large machinery to operate the move instead. Though the original plan didn't work out, the people still thought it was an honor to take part in the historical moving of this sacred temple. Shirley Lin, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound.
In Taiwan, you can often find street vendors selling freshly squeezed sugarcane juice. This is a popular drink in that some even say benefits to health. But the leftover pulp from the sugarcane usually gets thrown away, creating heaps of trash. Now a state-run company has found a way to reuse the loads of pulp. In the future, you could well be eating mushrooms grown from sugarcane pulp. State-run Taiwan Sugar Corporation has found a way to use the pulp of sugarcane stalks to cultivate edible mushrooms, allowing the pulp to serve a purpose rather than being thrown away. The company packages the pulp into bags that it rents out to mushroom farmers. This helps the farmers cut down on costs, since it costs slightly less than the traditional medium from growing mushrooms, sawdust. In the past, about 2,300 hectares of forest would be cut down every year to produce enough sawdust for mushroom growers. With the use of sugarcane pulp, 50% fewer trees need to be cut down. This makes sugarcane pulp a more eco-friendly as well as a more economical medium for growing mushrooms. As if all this wasn't enough, sugarcane pulp is actually better for the mushrooms too, producing 20 to 30 percent more mushrooms than sawdust. After the mushrooms are harvested, the pulp bags are returned and recycled a second time to produce organic fertilizer. Taiwan Sugar has won an award this year for coming up with this idea—a win-win situation for Taiwan Sugar, mushroom farmers, and the environment. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Taiwan's premier rice-producing town has found a creative way to tackle an excess of rice straw. Using giant bales of straw, it has constructed a labyrinth. That even the most dedicated of maize aficionados may find challenging. Yunlin County's Dapi Township produces more rice than anywhere else in Taiwan. Over 3,600 square meters are planted with rice paddies. But for all the rice the area produces, it produces even more rice straw—straw straw that locals used to dispose of by burning. Now, though, the township has come up with a more eco-friendly use for all this leftover straw—a gigantic maize. 1.2 meter high bales of straw are now stacked up into a labyrinth stretching over more than 2,200 square meters. Try getting out of that one. The maze is set to open to the public on December 26th. Don't get lost. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Across large parts of central and southern Taiwan, reservoir levels are dropping. The need to conserve water in these regions has been dramatically captured in new drone footage that shows one southern reservoir turned into a grassy landscape. Seen from a drone, it looks like a lush green valley. Some who have seen this drone footage online have suggested that this might be a view of a golf course. But the man who shot the footage explains that it's actually a view of the Zhongwan Reservoir, a major source of water for Taiwan's south. Water levels at this reservoir are down to 22.44 percent of capacity. An official with the Southern Region Water Resources Office says that arrangements are in place to ensure the surrounding region has adequate water through June next year. But the government's Central Emergency Operations Center has opted to cancel irrigation of next year's first rice crop on southern farms, and production will suffer as a result. Some places have it even worse. Miaoli County's Mingda Reservoir is only 16.5 percent full. Residents of drought-hit regions are being urged to conserve water. John Van Trieste, RTI News.
And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. What are those buttons on RTI's new website for? Those are for Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. You can share RTI content with the click of a button. You mean like this? Yep, just like that. Visit english.rti.org.tw. We extended the practice time, we pushed hard. Jose had been uh, forced to leave his country in 1975 and had uh, then set about devoting... And these plants tend to be very hardy. They're very well adapted to the... As of Friday, 18 September, St. Vincent the Grenadines was COVID-19 free. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. This week's On the Line features Year in Review 2020. We take a look back at segments of some of the important interviews that you may have missed this year. The year 2020 has been a challenging year for all of us as we suffer from COVID-19. So we begin with a part of the interview with the superintendent of Zhanghua Christian Hospital, Dr. Chen Mu Kuan, talking about how his hospital started to cope with COVID-19 back in 2019. You know, the Zhang Hospital has a history of 124 years that was founded by Dr. Lansberg from the UK. And right now we have one medical center with a branched hospital. Totally, we have around 4,000 sick beds. And we are the biggest medical healthcare center in central Taiwan. And since the late December year 2019, we have made a headplant effort to cope with COVID-19, including, number one, our command center was established immediately with me as the commander and all staff in road soon respond to the official policy and uh, thesis improvement. Number two, complete the inventory of the hospital elective pressure isolation ward and uh, the allocation of physicians, nurses, and uh, medical staff. Number three, establishment of negative pressure operation run in three days after Lunar New Year's. We which spent three million new Chinese dollars and another center negative positive operation run in one month. Number four, establish airway disease screening station outside the hospital and the different compartment to lower the risk of close infection rate. Number five, dividing and redirecting patients based on the DOCG history and ultra rate thermometer. Number six, reward employees to put the morale on more than one million new Taiwanese dollars. And number seven, for uh, formulate strict employees' self-management uh, policies to prevent nectomia infections. And uh, number eight, step up drive-through of the refillable prescriptions for patients with chronic disease and provide remote video medical service to reduce the risk of people coming to the hospital. And at last, prohibit our staff to go to China in early February. 
and then prohibits go abroad to any countries. That, and uh, this policy is earlier than our CDC uh, policy. I think it's uh, about two weeks uh, earlier. Julia Starch, who planned to bring a team of athletes with disabilities to Tokyo Olympic Games, but the games were postponed. 2020 is big for athletes. It's Olympic year. And I'm happy to tell you that for my athletes with disability, they, they, feel this, they feel that it's an Olympic year too. We extended the practice time, we push harder, we work harder. We can't get sick because it's the Olympic year. And I like it. I like that they can breathe in the Olympic energy. Team Diamond will include a delegation of 45 people, including disabled athletes, non-disabled athletes, uh, coaches, chaperones. It's a very big delegation. It's, it wasn't like that at the beginning, but it's like a snowball. And now it's 45 people. And we're going uh, under the name Taiwan. That was Julia Starch, the founder of Synchronized Swimming Association of Taiwan. And next, Patrick Earl, executive director of the Diplomacy Training Program in Australia, talks about how they have promoted human rights during the last three decades. The, the purpose of the founding of the Diplomacy Training Program 30 years ago was really to invest in the knowledge, the skills and the networks of human rights defenders in the Asia-Pacific region. And it was established very much uh, out of the experience of uh, José Ramos Horta, uh, who was at that stage the representative in exile of the people of East Timor, who were seeking uh, an end to human rights abuses and self-determination in in East Timor, in Timor-Leste, as it's now known. And José had been uh, forced to leave his country in 1975 and had... um, then set about devoting his life to uh, building understanding and support solidarity for the people in East Timor, which meant him learning about international human rights law, UN mechanisms, how these can be used, uh, developing friendship and support for the people of East Timor, and trying to put East Timor on the political agenda of the world. And uh, he was very successful, but he saw lots of other people uh, struggling and needing uh, support and he learned a hard way but he could see that there, if there's a way to transfer knowledge and skills to provide space for people to learn and that would be very valuable could help uh, very practically to stop or to limit human rights abuses and human rights violations and to contribute to peace did you know that the world vegetable center is located in the southern part of taiwan and now the head of communications and information maureen mccosey tells us how the center works with local ngos with the training you know one area one focus of our research has to do with what we call traditional vegetables now A traditional vegetable is a plant that's eaten in a local area. It might not be well known outside of that area. Um, In one place, their food. In another place, people look at it and say, that's a weed, I would never eat that. But a lot depends on people's perspective. And these plants tend to be very hardy. They're very well adapted to the places where they grow. And they also tend to be quite nutritious. So... We have been looking at some of these plants, for instance, amaranth, which has very good uh, 
tolerance for heat and drought, many different types of amaranth. Um, you can eat the leaves, and it also produces a very nutritious grain, so it's what we call a dual-purpose crop, very useful to have, and one that's very affordable for uh, people with lower incomes. So it grows well under difficult conditions, and it's inexpensive. So those kinds of crops, traditional crops, can have a big effect on people's, not only their income, but also their health and livelihoods. So we are doing a lot of uh, studies on traditional vegetables in places throughout Africa, for instance, uh, looking at amaranth, okra, uh, African eggplant, um, there's quite a few, so and all of them can have a big impact and are very important. This is Radio Taiwan International. Ambassador Willy Gomez of Guatemala tells us how his government dealt with the prevention of COVID-19 back in March. Uh, actually, the president, our president, he's a doctor and he knows... Um, how how to deal with that in terms of uh, the severity of this um, virus? Um, he decided uh, the government decided today to lock down uh, the uh, country. You know, we close all the borders, uh, especially in the flight uh, borders, and, and there are no flights through Guatemala coming in or coming out. Um, we um, close the schools um, and university until next fear. Uh, uh, notice and um, we close the jobs um, just essential right now it's um, like a sp very special time it's very drastic decisions but what we have learned uh, from countries like Taiwan is that if you have to act fast and that's the, the thing that we are doing right now we're acting fast and trying to protect to our people um, to lower the um, severity of this uh, virus misinformation was widely spread during the early period of the pandemic Summer Chen, editor of Taiwan Fat Chat Center, talks about how her center debunks disinformation. I think uh, it's pretty interesting when we debunk the disinformation about the coronavirus uh, because lots of uh, misinformation or lots of uh, disinformation are from China. So uh, during this time, we, we can, uh, the misinformation we debunk, some of them are from China, and also uh, lots of them are related about China. So uh, we are not only uh, defense the battlefront of uh, information in China, but also we help the other uh, fact-checking organizations around the world to debunk the disinformation. During this time, we sometimes we will get the uh, information from the International Fact-Checking uh, Alliance. Uh, they ask us for help to to read the Chinese or to uh, to get to collect more information for for their claim. So we will help them to debug information, uh, disinformation in other country. And who do you work with normally? Mm -hmm. oh, the International uh, Fact-Checking Network. It's like a protective umbrella for all of the fact-checking organizations in the world. IFCN, it uh, collaborates 
the fact-checking. Uh, I, I think there are 65 organizations from around uh, 45 countries. Um, we work together. Uh, so, for example, during this time, the Italian or the American has more serious uh, situation. So some of the disinformation are from Italian or from, uh, are related about Italian or about the U.S. So uh, we will ask Italian uh, fact-checking organizations help to help us to debug the Sandri Alviani, East Asia Bureau of Reporters Without Border, talks about the passage of Hong Kong security law, and his remarks were made during the interview in July, echoed what happened in December as eight of the pro-democracy activists were detained for taking part in security law-related protests. Uh, we are, of course, uh, very much concerned about this Hong Kong security law because it seems that it could give Beijing uh, the ability to directly intervene on the Hong Kong territory, which could potentially mean uh, the death of freedom of the press on the territory because any journalist who publishes something that um, the Chinese regime does not uh, like could potentially be accused of treason, uh, could be accused of uh, going against uh, the interests of the state. And in China, all these crimes are uh, potentially uh, lead to death penalty. The ambassador of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Ambassador Andrea Bowman, said as of September 18th, her country is COVID-free. As of Friday, 18th September, St. Vincent and the Grenadines was COVID-19 free. Which means that of the 64 positive cases which we had, all have recovered. We have no active cases, we have had no deaths, and we have tested 4,485 persons. We are very heartened by this situation. Just to contextualize that a little bit, St. Vincent de Grenadines has 110,000 people. Taiwan has been one of our most consistent and generous partners in combating this pandemic. Taiwan does help, and Taiwan did help. (laughs) From the very onset of this global crisis, Taiwan shared with us the wealth of its technical expertise and experience in the form of protocols for implementation, as well as equipment and medicines for managing and containing the virus. German Chambers of Commerce Abroad conducted a flash survey among 140 locations in 92 countries in June, and the survey shows German companies remain committed to Taiwan. And the executive director of German trade office in Taipei, Mr. Axel Limburg, elaborates on that. Yes, uh, we conduct uh, different types of surveys. We as uh, trade office here in Taipei have one big survey per year. That's our business confidence survey where we get very detailed infos from the German companies about their business expectations, uh, challenges, chances. And our head offices in in Germany, they conduct uh, also twice per year uh, world business outlook surveys. And uh, COVID-19 brought up a lot of flash surveys. uh, What is the effect of COVID-19? And the result here we have presented is the result of such a flash survey, which was held for for one week. And uh, also Taiwanese company or German companies in Taiwan participated uh, and gave us and uh, our headquarters a detailed picture of what is the situation here in, in Taiwan. And that was this week's On the Line featuring Year in the Review 2020. We look forward to a better year ahead. And thank you for supporting On the Line. 
in this year 2020 and look forward to your continued support. I'm Carlson Wang. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Time to bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw. 